Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 102 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Vera Grubbs, along with the rest of the crew. This month, our musical guest is Rich Hardesty, and we'll listen to our interview with him and a selection of his original tunes. We also have an interview with the director of the Brown County Community Foundation, Madison Miller. We'll also share a collection of essays from our regular contributors, including Rick Fettig, Pam Rader, Jim Eagleman, and yours truly, Dave Seastrom. In the first segment, we'll feature our interview with Rich Hardesty. Rick Fettig explains how he got to West Point, and we'll close with Rich's tune, You Know Me, been there I need to get out of my way turn off the broken record that's spinning every day I believe there's something more I'm ready for the ride set free the sleeping tiger that's inside don't leave this world with a song inside of you this is Chuck Wills, along with Dave Seastrom. Hi, Dave. Hi. We are joined in the studio today by singer-songwriter Rich Hardesty. Welcome, Rich. Thank you for having me. Well, Rich, we know you're a new Brown County resident, so first of all, welcome to town. Thank you. And we want uh, to have a proper introduction for our listeners that may just be hearing about you for the first time. You are a singer-songwriter, a multi-instrumentalist, uh, originally from LaPorte, and were a longtime indie resident before heading down here. From what I understand, your career kicked off with the album Jonesen in mm -hmm. 1992. You became a big hit on the college circuit. That's where I first heard about you. Okay. The song that I remember most is one that the FCC will not let me utter the name of. <laughs> right I know now. that song. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. I can still right. Thank you. I can still sing the chorus along with you. Uh, you went on to independently release 11 more albums. Your musical journey took you through Jamaica, among other places. You headlined Mellencamp's 50th birthday party and have worked with some impressive names in big Nashville, all leading you here to Brown County. It's mm. quite a resume. 
the flashbacks in the landscape of my mind. Because <laughs> when the first CD came out, you yeah. were living with somebody who I've become very, very good friends with. That's right. And working together on music, too. So Michael Smith from the Y Store. Michael Smith from who the Y Store. Who knew you were his roommate back then? I, he and I go way back to the late 80s. We lived together in Muncie at Ball State. Right. You and him, uh, I saw you guys play together. Great music. Thank Great you very music. much. Yeah. Through all of this, you have been an independent artist. How do you do all of these things? And I, I know that I just scratched the surface on all the amazing things you've got to do through your career. How do you do this as an independent artist? Just right off the thoughts become things. I just felt like I did it on accident for years and years and years. And somebody had told me uh, it had to do with the Nashville thing. But he said, you realize that you, you've created your own reality. I go, I have recently realized that. But I go, for the first 10 years, it was just, I just, everything I thought of turned into a song turned into another frat party, turned into another trip to Jamaica, turned into another song idea, another breakup, another... And, and, I, and after I figured... I was doing it on accident, but I knew one thing. I didn't want to go out and do a job with my degree from IU. See, I got a business degree from IU, but I had that song that you talked about. Right. So everybody was singing it. Yep. So I was like, oh my gosh, like everybody. maybe I can put the job off. But then like 10 years into it, I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't think I have to go out and do the job because now I put out whatever these these CDs. So yeah. I just kept on following, you know, I thought sooner or later I'm going to have to do something different. And then I realized, wait a second, I don't have to. I took the road less traveled too. So I always liked I was always the guy who was going under the barbed wire fence, mm -hmm. if you will. Sure. Well, okay. I would think a, a business degree would be an asset to a, a freebooter like yourself. I, I agree. I, a couple of the professors gave me advice. One of them said, take the road less traveled. I remember Professor Robert Smith said that. And uh, so I appreciate, I'll never forget that. And I appreciate him and a, and a high school professor. So yeah, I did go off and learn how to get endorsements like with guitar makers and liquor companies. And I just did it naturally because I know how to build relationships. But people always say, well, they, that's from your business degree, you know, from your marketing degree. I, I don't know. Like I, I, was, I was falling asleep in the class. I barely could get to class. And, <laughs> but I guess I did maybe take something from there. But now lots of practice, you know, later. Right, sure. Well, I mean, obviously, you have turned this into a career, into yeah. a business. Uh, it's just not, thankfully, in a cubicle. Right. Yeah. The the endorsements, isn't that how you ended up in Jamaica? Well, actually, I'd already been to Jamaica. I fell in love with Jamaica before the endorsements. So okay. I, I just, so no, that's not, that's not true. But I did okay. take Jägermeister to Jamaica. Um, I remember doing, trying to do a shot with uh, Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers. Uh, I think they opened for Jimmy Cliff, and I was backstage with them, and they go, no, Rasta don't drink gig in my state. Yeah. There, you know. <laughs> right, right. I just loved Jamaica, and it was a place to go get creative and, and write. I felt in the neighborhoods of Jamaica, I felt something tugging at me in, in the artist. You know, like it, it still happens. I've been there more than I can remember now, but when I still go there, it still takes me back to this nostalgic place, the people and the, the island of the spices. You know, mm -hmm. it's not about, I love Bob Marley. And I love what Jamaica's known for, but but it's more to me about the the island on the rock. So you ended up uh, doing a movie with uh, John Oates, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm very aggressive. I, I went to National Lampoon and I went to the top floor and I took the CEO and I opened my laptop and I said, "Hey, I wrote a song. This is before the movie." And he liked it and they made a cartoon out of it for for frat guys. It was his frat cartoon. I thought that worked. I'll go there again. So I went there again and I go, "I wrote this song, this stoner song." And he played it, and he goes, oh, my gosh. He picks up the phone, calls Craig Shoemaker, the um, executive producer at the time, because then Brian Johnson ended up buying the movie from ACDC. 
But he goes, uh, Hardesty's in here. He's got this song you're going to love. Next thing you know, I'm singing that song in that movie. And in addition with John Oates, Maneater. So, so there's the greatest hits of how that happened. Wow. It's just because I knocked on the door. You know, I didn't wait. I don't wait. I, when I get an idea, I just go do it. And I pull the trigger. So where okay. to from here? You, you've just managed. You've landed in Brown County. You're doing a fixer-upper, which is a classic Brown County thing to do. We're all locked down, but this place does have an amazing music scene that will come back to life. Right. And is that kind of your thinking? You want to be here amongst? Or? Yeah, I I love it. I'm so inspired. Um, there's no place I'd rather be, you know. And and I did live out in California for, for you know, I lived on Sunset Boulevard. But, you know, really, I'm a country boy. It, you know, I've and that's what Jamaica also attracted me. When I'm in Jamaica, I'm up in the hills driving around on a, on a dirt bike and, and writing songs and with the chickens and the horses. And, and I tell my friends that come out here, I take them up in the hills. I go, this is like Jamaica. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm going to come around the corner and there's going to be a jerk chicken stand <laughs> and a Rasta man sitting there. We're just going to stop, you know, so. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about all that, but yeah. I, I wish we could have talked more about the recordings in Jamaica because I, I got to work with the Marleys. You know, Julian Marley in particular plays on one of the songs that you're going to play. Bob and, had a whole bunch of kids. Yeah. Kimani is another guy I met there in the sessions. But Ziggy's probably the most famous, but there's yeah, a he did. huge parcel of uh, modern uh-huh. children. Like 13 last time I counted. I could be wrong. Man. And they're real laid back and kind. And, you know, I got to play on Bob's birthday in Kingston with many of them to launch the album I did with Julian Marley. And I was in the Jamaican newspaper for a while. They were playing the song a lot. I was going back and forth, and it was just a dream because I, I love Jamaica, but I didn't know someday I'd be working with Julian Marley and right. the Bob Marley Museum. And it was just, I was like, but then again, thoughts become things. So thoughts become things. It didn't surprise me. Did you learn Patois? I, I know a little bit. I sing a little bit in the song that okay. I'm, that you're going to play, okay. actually. So Broken English, Patois, yeah. Another song you're going to play, Peaceful Vinyl, was my L.A. band. And I had Michael Jackson's guitar player, Greg Wright from Michael Jackson Thriller Tour. That's Dig Lewis from Tina Turner, Stevie Wonder, Mosey from Melon Camp. Yeah. We toured. So the song, that Peaceful Vinyl, I, I flew out there recently, and that's the new single I'm going to drop. I've been holding it in the vaults. But you, because of this here today, I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and release that single. I never have. It's been wow. sitting there. It's called Peaceful Vinyl, and it's about my love for vinyl. I love vinyl. Right. And I went back out to L.A. to get the guys together again because they're awesome. You know what I mean? I just I love those guys. So that was one thing. Uh, the other one you're going to play, You Know Me, was in Nashville with Taylor Swift, Grammy Award-winning producer, Chad Carlson, Kenny Greenberg from Kenny Chesney. And that was my first Nashville experience. So it was awesome. I actually moved there after that and lived with Michael Smith for, for like a year. I was renting Oh, you did? There. Oh, yeah. he told me about yeah. that. Yeah. Nashville's fun to go in and out, but I'm not going to Nashville trying to make it. You know, I'm happy now. I just like organic, authentic. I produce right here in Nashville now. You know, I write music and produce it just for the love of music. And if I get to go to Nashville and work with Michael Smith, fine, like last weekend, you know. Yep. That's great. That's great. So, Rich, how can we get a hold of you? How can we find your music? Yes, uh, richhardesty.com. And then I'm on Facebook. You can look me up. Um, I've got a fan page called Authentically Rich. Okay. I like to stay authentic as possible, so I thought we'll put it in my fan page. But if you want to book me, just go to richhardesty.com. That's how people find me. Excellent. And I know that people can find you and probably have found you on YouTube where they can see the video of you singing, playing harmonica and guitar 
on a unicycle uh, on a treadmill. That's right. They can. And Letterman flew me to New York to, to have me do it on the Ed Sullivan stage. And I saw Johnny Depp and his manager in the green room. It's crazy. That's wow. I got bumped. I didn't you know what that meant. <sighs> they go, Mr. Harsty, we love what you did. Will you come back? You know, it takes too long to set up everything. And Johnny Depp's playing. And I go, sure. I just told everybody I'm going to be live tonight. I'm, you know, they filmed me and everything. And it wow. was hard, man, to, to go home from that. And then he, he retired after that. But, yeah, that's where that led to. Amazing. That's in, that's insane. So, I mean, uh, unicycle, treadmill, playing music all at once. I mean. I'm going to break my own record. So I do songs in the key of G. Like okay. there's one on YouTube right. where I, I go Cecilia, right? Yeah. No yeah, woman, yeah. no. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it for 45 minutes, like nonstop, and see how many songs I can do. <laughs> That's my goal. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Rich, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks man. you so much, guys. It's uh, to have grown up in Brown County, and the stories and the love that I have for this town, and to live here now, and to have you ask me to come talk. It, it, it's something I called my mom before I came today. I said, Hey, mom, you're not gonna believe what I'm gonna do, you know? So thank you. Nice. Our pleasure. Never settle to exist You got too much to give Wake up in the present moment Of the life that I will live Be the leader to follow Sing as loud as I can If they criticize and they bat their eyes They don't understand tell you guys i went to west point you probably wouldn't think of it to look at me now but yeah i went to west point i'd been living on my own in seymour for a couple years and i stopped by mom and dad's house and dad said hey do you want to go to new york and i thought sure why not and so what had happened was mom and dad had gone there my mom had a cousin who was a lieutenant colonel at west point and they went to visit him 
And meanwhile, my dad bought a 38 Rolls Royce from one of the cadets. So he wanted to go get it. So we flew to New York, and Dad and I and my little brother went, and uh, my mom's cousin picked us up. He took us through Times Square and a little tour around New York, which was really exciting because that was our first time. Then the next day, we got up, and we went into the campus and met the cadet and saw the car and picked it up, and we headed home. Now, as we headed home, we, you know, you might think a 38 Rolls Royce would be a little bit uh, iffy, but uh, they had already replaced uh, the engine with a nice newer Buick engine, so we weren't worried too much about any mechanical difficulties on the way home. But this car was pretty cool. It was blue and silver, and it looked like it was like 40 foot long. It had this great big giant nose on it under the hood, you know, and each side of the hood picked up because uh, originally there was a, a 12-cylinder engine in it. There was a window between the front and the back seat, and there was a kind of a normal back seat, but there was a couple um, fold-away seats that folded up into the back of the driver's seat. There was, when you turned on the turn signals, a little lever came out the side panel of the car that had reflectors on it or lights to show you that, to show the people that you were turning. And the gear shift was right on the outside uh, wall. You, you drove on the right side. The steering wheel and all this was on the right side. And right by your right leg was the gear shift. So that was a lot of fun, managing that and going through traffic. But we did. We headed back, and everything was real cool. We ended up going through Boston on the 4th of July, so that was quite a celebration. Then we were getting gas one time, and it was a bigger truck stop, you know, right off of the highway. And this guy comes up and starts talking to us and asking us questions about it and telling us how nice he thought the car was and all that kind of stuff. And it turned out to be Tanya Tucker's dad. And when we looked across the, the parking lot there, the gas station, there was the big old tour bus over there that said Tanya Tucker on the side of it. But that's when she was getting started, and I doubt that she could even drive yet. But her dad said, oh, Tanya might like one of these things, you know, which I'm sure that was his desire and not hers. Uh, and we never did hear from him, but that was made it a little bit more fun. And we made it home. But the point is, facts are important. I did go to West Point. I did not lie. The surrounding circumstances have a lot to do with uh, what the facts really mean. So when you think of somebody that goes to West Point, now you can think of me. all night Then we fell in love You know me Your fast lane love affair A neon romance going nowhere Yeah baby, we've been there You know me The one you took the ride
lasted while it could Me and Miss Misunderstood And when the party was over I took the blame You know me The one you took the ride with The one that you got pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. We'll begin segment two with our Madison Miller interview. She's the director of the Brown County Community Foundation. She'll get us up to speed on how this organization responded to the COVID-19 crisis. Jim Eagleman shares his essay about the Hoosier naturalist W.S. Blatchy. And Rich Hardesty will close the segment with his tune, back to Jamaica. It is my pleasure to introduce Madison Miller, who is the head of the Brown County Community Foundation. Hi, Madison. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me back. We had you in right when you first got this job, and you just reminded me that was two years ago. Indeed. It's been a very fulfilling two years at that. We've done a lot of good work. First, and um, this can never be said enough, I mean, the Community Foundation does all kinds of outstanding work in our community, and what you do causes the tide to raise all boats, and we 
we definitely know and appreciate that. But on a personal level, the Brown County Hour has once again been the generous recipient of one of your grants. And let me extend a hearty thank you from all of the crew here. <laughs> That's right. And and especially Vera Grubbs and Sarah Lytle, who worked so hard to write that grant and to make it happen for us. Well, it's our pleasure to continue to support the Brown County Hour. We love what you guys do here. And you're right, Vera and Sarah put a lot of work into the grant, which we appreciated. It was very well written. Uh, we would expect no less mm-hmm. from the level of talent those two gals exhibit. So, Madison, I realize that COVID-19 has changed everything for everybody. But in particular, the uh, Community Foundation has risen to the cause. But would you like to talk about some of the things you guys have done in response to this virus? I'd be happy to. It's been a weird, you know, year, as all of you can attest to in our in our own ways. We were fortunate that I think we saw the writing on the wall earlier this year. The Community Foundation, in addition to several other community groups, uh, formed what's called a COAD, which stands for Community Organizations Active in a Disaster. Knowing that coronavirus was sweeping across the country and that we were poised for a potential shutdown here in the state of Indiana, We met in mid-March in our first meeting before the shutdown happened and locked ourselves in a room and said, what are we going to do if the community is shut down? How are we going to deliver essential services to community members here in Brown County? So we established a coronavirus hotline and we put a system in place to make sure that we could deliver food, medication, secure transportation. I mean, we tried to think in terms of all facets of what people would need if the community was shut down. And so we had that up and running um, by the time that the shutdown happened. I think it was a week later that the governor announced it on March 24th. And since that time, the COAD has delivered thousands of hot meals thousands of pounds of non-perishable food. And that's largely because of the community organizations that are active in this group. And we're meeting regularly still and thinking about how we can plan for the community's recovery as we move past the coronavirus. Um, At the Community Foundation specifically, we worked quickly to establish a rapid response fund and start soliciting donations, knowing that the community was going to need help. So we were fortunate to work with regional United Way organizations because Brown County does not have a United Way. And thanks to the Lilly Endowment, who provided a lot of seed funds for coronavirus response across the state. So we set up a a rapid response fund of over $145,000. And to date, we've spent uh, just over 55000 of that. So we've helped provide um, personal protective equipment for our first responders in the community. We've helped deliver all sorts of food. We've helped food banks that are already established. Everything from delivering personal hygiene items to women and girls in the community to back-to-school supplies for children in need. I mean, it's been a really great community effort, and I'm proud of the work that we've done through the Rapid Response Fund. Well, it does sound like a coordinated effort, and, and it does speak to the community spirit of Brown County. Yeah, indeed. And so we are all very fortunate to live in a place that has this type of response when the need arises. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of other rural communities across Indiana that have really struggled, that didn't have this type of planning and infrastructure in place. So I'm, I'm very proud that we were able to do it. 
Madison, I know you guys have websites and Facebook pages and all of these things, and I'm sure people listening to this would love to pitch in and help support your efforts. Would you tell us uh, how we can get a hold of you? Absolutely. You can go to browncountygives.org. We have a lot of information there. Um, If you want to give, you can text TOGETHERBC to 44321, and you can also give on the website, and that goes into the Rapid Response Fund. Or you can reach out to us if you're thinking about setting up a fund in your family family's name or to memorialize a family member, we can talk about the causes that you're passionate about and make sure that those resources are allocated appropriately. Excellent. So what are you guys doing next? Next is the small business grant opportunity we've been working on since April. We convinced the Brown County commissioners to allow us to submit an application to the Office of Community and Rural Affairs at the state. We received approval for $250,000 to help our locally owned small businesses in the county that employ low to moderate income employees. But that's going to allow us to provide grants of up to $10,000 per business that applies to help them with operating expenses as they try to weather this economic storm that we're suffering nationally. Wow, that is really tremendous. Mm -hmm. So this is such a broad-reaching plan that you all have developed. Yes. So you've got the business thing going on. Is there other activities that you're reaching into? We both know this virus isn't going away anytime soon. And, you know, what probably comes next is exactly what you just shared here, which is the economic hardships that will follow all of this. Absolutely. Right now, we're, we're trying to work with local um, nonprofits to help with their operating expenses because nonprofits beyond, you know, our local businesses have really suffered. Um, we're seeing nationwide um, donations to nonprofits are, are down. So making sure that they have the resources they need to continue. And then really refocusing our efforts of the COAD toward the economic recovery that we need to plan for here locally. And that means involving the redevelopment commissions, the county commissioners, county council, town of Nashville. I mean, all the people that have a say in what happens economic development-wise here in the community, trying to figure out, okay, how can we think about a long-term strategy to recover? And how can we put policies in place that might um, help us diversify our economy? So if we experience uh, a pandemic or a disaster like this in the future, it won't be such a huge financial hit to us because we're not solely relying on the tourism industry or, or that sort of thing. So it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of people, a lot of say from the community, but I'm convinced that we've got a really good team together to make that happen. Well, Madison, thank you so much for all of the hard work you guys are doing. Thank you for coming in and sharing this exciting information with us. And thank you for continuing to look ahead and to be the kind of coordinating body that makes a big difference in a pandemic or any kind of crisis. Thank you. The glamour of a perfect fall day once more enthralls me. A temperature just to my liking, a dome of cloudless blue above me, a carpet of velvety green beneath my feet. What more could I ask? Willis Stanley Blatchley of Indianapolis entered those words in his journal in the autumn of 1904, later to be added to other works, Woodland Idols, Gleanings from Nature, and A Nature Wooing. Growing up on a farm in Putnam County, his parents both teachers, Blatchley's love of nature began as he collected insects in his father's garden. 
At 17, his first job was peddling notions in summer and fall, using the profits to enroll in the normal school in Danville. There he acquired a teacher's license and taught four winters in the county schools. The first winter for $1.50 a day, he said, and the last one for $2.50 per day. In the spring of 1883, at the age of 24, he enrolled in the preparatory department at Indiana University with, quote, an intense desire to enroll full-time the following fall after visiting the university library and, quote, awed by the odor of gases and display of chemicals in the chemistry department, end quote. While at IU and studying under the tutelage of Dr. David Starr Jordan, Blatchley enrolled in botany classes and studied plants, collecting them for the university herbarium and earning him a small stipend. In 1885, as Jordan was appointed university president and still teaching, he asked Blatchley to accompany him and a class of about 30 students on a field trip to Weed Patch Hill near Nashville. Jordan wanted Blatchley to collect common plants and to teach them to the students when they stopped to rest. He also was asked to secure lodging for all the students at the farmhouses that night, which he did, but not finding any lodging for he and Jordan. They found a cabin about dark, and, quote, at the first, the owner refused to take them in. But since it was raining, Jordan told the owner he had to take them in, which he finally agreed to do, end quote. Blatchley's career in the geologic and natural sciences took him to many places, every Indiana county, South America, and abroad, Concentrating on entomology, the study of insects, and a relatively new discipline, he accumulated much data from his travels for his key to the orthoptera, classifying mantids, crickets, grasshoppers, and locusts. Throughout his career, paying attention to detail in the natural world allowed him to develop patience, he said, a habit that gave him much pleasure. Quote, my practice of patience has allowed me the grand title of naturalist, who is a generalist. I'm called a specialist in my field, but I honor the title generalist, end quote. Batchley's description of the glamour of a perfect day allows me another perspective from other Indiana naturalists who are thrilled at all of nature, particularly the autumn of the year. His reference in Boulder Reveries to, quote, ironweed in bloom amid the many kinds of goldenrods, a purple joe pieweed stretching high above them, and the golden glow of a favorite sugar maple, end quote, suggests to all fall lovers, in addition to beauty and the regular account of change, this time of year can be healing. He said, nature has her own time and mood for doing things. It matters not, though the protests of a million men be on record. Despite the unrest now due to covid a collective uncertainty of what lies ahead. Somehow another fall in Brown County sets us on regular course. Keyed into natural processes, we can attempt to resume some kind of plan of normalcy. While all things in life, work, home chores, school, etc. are on different schedules, and we face change that requires vigilance, nature can be a stable force. For many, maybe the only force that makes sense. Sounds, songs, and sights of nature we look forward to, like a cool, crisp fall morning, fog on an open pasture, the call of cranes overhead, still occur. Timed by the seasons, inherent and predictable, we are reassured this business of nature 
with the fall, a highlight will still occur. As the pulsating cicada chorus winds down and the last thrushes are marked on the August calendar, a slight coolness in most mornings now greets me as I head from the house. Like Blatchley, Thoreau, Emerson, and a brotherhood of others, I make mental notes on my walk, eyes toward the ground but mindful of distant sounds. If I hear a bird, I know it's comforting. If I smell a scent not always present, something different had happened at night, and I wonder aloud. Never bored, always aware of changes, the season's color now favorite. It is a time to walk your favorite trail and return to what can stabilize, comfort, and renew. Jim Eagleman for Nature Ramblings, WFHB-FM Radio, the Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening. Take me back to the island sand. Take me back to the dreadlock land. I am what I am when I am where I am. Take me back to Jamaica, man. Jamaica Let me say Give thanks and praise to the jet airplane That take me to the land of the sugar cane Wonderful thoughts running in and out of the landscape of my brain Wash away the negativity Blessings and love, positivity Peace and love, tranquility Rise above to the most high Take me back to the island sand Take me back to the dreadlock land I am what I am when I am where I am Take me back to Jamaica, man Take me back to the island sand Peacefully like a Jamaican One peace, one world, one love, one man Take me back to Bob Marley land Music is love spread out to the masses Of the island of the spices, ginger and molasses A reggae party on the beach tonight When you come to Jamaica, everything is alright Music is my life, music is my wife Everything is curry and the peas and the rice Make love under the moon and under the candlelight We not go fast, we not go fight Take me back to the island sand Take me back to the dreadlock land I am what I am when I am where I am Take me back to Jamaica, man Take me back to the island sand Peacefully like a Jamaican One peace, one world, one love, one man Take me back to Bob Marley land Thank you, Jamaica, for the waterfalls The mangoes and papayas and the trench town walls Glass bottom boat, a keys for fish jerk Chicken and eat the coconut tree Thank you to the Marlies for your song Wagwan, Jimmy Cliff, the harder they come This is the way it's got to be Ja, watch over me Take me back to the island sand Take me back to the dreadlock land I am what I am, what I am, where I am Take me back to Jamaica, man Take me back to the island sand Peacefully like a Jamaican One peace, one world, one love, one man Take me back to Bob Marley land La 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 Everybody la 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 Take me back to the island sand Take me back to the dreadlock land 
I am what I am when I am where I am Take me back to Jamaica, man Take me back to the island sand Peacefully like a Jamaican One peace, one world, one love, one man Take me back to Bob Marley land Take me back to the island sand Take me back to the dreadlocked land I am what I am when I am where I am Take me back to Jamaica, man Take me back to the island sand Peacefully like a Jamaican One peace, one world, one love, one man Take me back to Bob Marley land La 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 Take me back to Bob Marley land La 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 Take me back to the dreadlock land La 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 Take me back to the island sand La 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 Take me back to Jamaica man La 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 Take me back to Jamaica man La 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 Take me back to Jamaica man La 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 Take me back to Jamaica We pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with an essay from Pam Rader, who shares a few of her thoughts in a piece she calls Mask Madness. Dave Seastrom goes off the deep end with his ruminations about COVID cleaning, and we'll close the show with the Rich Hardesty song, Peaceful Vinyl. This is Pam Rader with the Brown County Hour commenting on the mass madness. Mass and no mass. No testing masks the extent of the virus, leading to a bigger spread once the economy reopened. Numbers were rising again. Here in Hill Country, we had been invaded by tourists who felt safe to congregate everywhere without masks. So did some of our residents. With no testing sites in the county, who knew the numbers? Shopkeepers were aghast as tourists crammed into tight spaces with no protection. Our courthouse closed for a day, as did at least one eating establishment. A mass mandate was brought up by the town council, but angry shopkeepers, afraid of offending tourists, shut that down. Maybe they had read the news reports of people shot and beaten for asking patrons to mask up. 
How did a small piece of cloth become so demonized? Mask Lash was launched. The mask wars were on. The same people who wear shoes and shirts to get food service, except licensing and insurance to drive, were now affronted by a proven effective health strategy. Masking to stem the spread had now become a sinister plot to take away their freedom. No harm has ever come from wearing a mask, but people have died from those who did not. The governor issued a mask mandate, which relieved many in our town. With enforcement measures dropped, it was left to county health departments to educate citizens on the importance of mask wearing. An employee where there was no masking or shielding proclaimed to a retired nurse that it was all a hoax. Doctors and nurses were fudging the COVID death figures. Doctors and nurses all over the world, she asked. The management said if she felt uncomfortable, don't shop there. So many complaints were lodged that our local health department had to take action and masks were donned under protests. Lies, omissions, and misinformation mask the truth. Lack of transparency and the eventual unmasking of such spawn conspiracy theories which spread like a virus far and wide. Corruption at all levels breeds distrust of science and authorities. Instead of standing together against a common enemy, we now hide behind suspicious beliefs. So many opinions drowned out sanity and all becomes masquerade. Humans find a way to both tribalize and individualize. Face coverings carry political statements and team logos. They come in tie-dye and polka dots. They match your clothing, are fancy or generic. They hide bad teeth and wrinkles. They also hide our identity. Humans have a long history with masks. They're donned willingly on Halloween and at masquerade balls. Bandits wear them, and so does Zorro, and of course, the KKK. In medieval times, people wore masks delivering holiday treats and coins. Doctors and dentists wear them to not spread germs. Masked, muted, and muffled, our behaviors being altered. WFHB's annual meeting was on Zoom. With so many on the call, we were muted except to speak. In the past, I might have wished a leader might mute somebody. Masks can help us pick and choose our battles. I self-censor. It's harder to breathe when riled up or my story is long. Talking over others on conference calls and Zooming feels rude. I hope I am listening more, reflecting more, before responding. We'd all be better off doing that. Think first, shoot later. As masks go on, unmasking has begun elsewhere. The whole system built on profits before people is unraveling. Everything feels broken.
There are things we all share in common. The post office, clean air, clean water, education, which the Constitution tasked our government with providing using the words, the general welfare. 2020 is forcing perfect vision, but only in hindsight. Let's leave the masks on and take the blinders off. This is Pam Rader for the Brown County Hour. When the world shut down in March, my wife and I were fortunate enough to hire a suddenly out-of-work friend of ours to do several carpentry repairs. We have three sets of treated wood stairs that were about 30 years old and definitely showing their age. And for whatever reason, the stars aligned. In early April, the big box stores had lots of materials and not so many customers. When I went in to place a material order, the manager at the pro desk deeply appreciated my business, and I could tell he was concerned about the future. During the next six weeks, our friend Noah took apart and replaced a set of stairs on the back side of our screened-in porch, and he did the same on a set of stairs leading to the apartment that also included replacing the old deck surface. While he was at it, he rebuilt the front entry steps to the house and resurfaced that deck as well. While we were busy doing all of that work, many other people decided to do the same thing. This makes perfect sense because we were all stuck at home with not much to do. Lots of us were taking inventory because we had nothing but time on our hands. And once you start looking around, it's easy to find a project or two that needs attention. At the same time, wood mills and factories that produce treated wood products shut down all across North America in response to the virus. And then we had the beginnings of a perfect storm. These days, manufacturers feed supply lines on an as-needed basis. They want their products to move, so there's not a lot of warehouses sitting around full of materials. When demand began to skyrocket, the inevitable shortfalls began, and now there's a several-week waiting period to obtain certain building materials, especially treated wood. As a longtime carpenter, this is the first time I've seen this happen. But I remember my grandpa talking about the shortages and rationing that took place during World War II. In a way, there's a lot of similarity between a world war and a global pandemic. Large numbers of people are losing their lives, economies are disrupted, and nobody knows what's going on. This occurrence, like many other consequences of COVID-19, was completely unexpected, and it's likely that it will take a while for things to sort themselves out. We have other projects we'd like to do, but they will have to wait until building materials are easily obtainable again. In the meantime, for reasons of sanity, we needed to stay busy, and there comes a time in every pandemic when there's nothing left to do except clean the house. I imagine for a lot of you, cleaning the house was your first response to being holed up. But this was not the case for my wife and me. We're notorious pile makers. In fact, we have piles on top of other piles. However, as the pandemic wore on, something happened here at the ranch, and we were suddenly seized with the desire for cleanliness and order. On the surface, boredom might be the reason. And there's plenty of that going around. But honestly, it was something else that got us moving. It was the realization that we have too much stuff. Yep, we've outlived all of our immediate ancestors. And now we don't just have our own stuff to contend with, we have theirs as well. 
There is danger in ignoring this reality, and that would be the accumulation of so much clutter that going from one end of our house to the other poses a risk to life and limb. And there's no reason to let this happen when there's a simple remedy. We've developed a divide and conquer strategy where Becky works on one project and I work on another. This is partnership at its best because while she's off doing one thing, I'm off doing another and we never get in each other's way. Lately, she's been sorting and purging in the bedroom and I've been cleaning the sunroom. This puts us on different floors of the house, which is a formula for perfect harmony. She likes to watch TV when she cleans, and I like to listen to a radio tuned to WFHB. And because we're separated by one floor, each of us gets into our own groove without bothering the other. In this way, we have marital bliss and cleanliness all in one package. No one knows how long the pandemic will last, or what the outcome will be, but it's unlikely to go away anytime soon. For better or worse, this gives us plenty of time to sort and clean to our heart's content. And I can picture the day when East meets West and we drive a golden spike somewhere in the middle to celebrate our beautifully cleaned house. This leaves me with one question. What will we do when the house is clean? This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. Your people down, you just wanna be alone. Turn the lights down low, close the shades, slip into a zone. Nobody's home tonight. He's gone. Yeah.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 102 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County. Home.